the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we are studying the book of 2 Samuel, the life of David the prophet. If you guys remember very quickly, David have committed a sin in which he committed adultery and planned the murder of the husband of the person that he committed adultery with. God told him that I will forgive you after David repented, but he told him there's still consequences of sins. Your house, the sword is not going to leave your house. And we also mentioned that some of the consequences that God allowed in the house of David was also due to the fact that David's children were not raised in a good way. And they did not follow the path of God. So God just allowed David to see some of the outcome of his children. And he also connected to the consequences of his sin. Because in some other places, when people sin, the consequences is different. So based on every situation, God shows the consequence. So we started, David repented. After David repented, he started going back to his own life. Now, last time we saw how one of David's children lusted for his, for his sister. He actually raped her. After that, his brother got really ang angry and he killed him. And once he killed him, he ran away. And last time we talked about how David was in a difficult situation because he lost his son and now his other son is running away or he's away. He can't come back because he committed the murder. So David is stuck. He can't accept him, but he also misses him. And we saw last time that the head of the army, Joab, he felt that David misses his son. So he's kind of trying to help him out out to find a way to kind of bring back his son. So he said that Joab is going to use some wisdom, but because this wisdom is not selfish and this wisdom has good intention, this is a heavenly wisdom. When the wisdom becomes selfish or reaches an evil goal, then that becomes an earthly wisdom. We saw that Joab went to a special place and he found a woman last time and he told this woman, I want you to act like you were mourning and you're sad and you're broken and you're going to go to the king and she's going to get up do a small kind of an act in front of the king to get a judgment for her case and it would turn out that this case is actually David's case okay so we'll start from verse 4 chapter uh, uh, 14 verse 4 and when the woman of Toka spoke to the king she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said help me O king and the king said to her, what troubles you? And she answered, In need, indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. So this woman goes to the king. Obviously, out of respect, she bows down to him. But also one of the beautiful things is that you see a widow has access to the king. And that is something important. Sometimes people, when they reach a, a position of power or they get busy, they become inaccessible. That's one of the things, for example, we love about His Holiness Pope Shenouda, His Holiness Pope Tawadros. They're very accessible. His Holiness Pope Shenouda, for example, every Wednesday in the sermon, he would receive questions from the congregation. His Holiness Pope Tawadros, he still uses the same cell phone he had before he was a Pope, and people can actually message him. And he has an email that people can reach out to him. So it is nice that when people are taking big responsibility, even though they have a lot on their plate. They are accessible to the people. So this widow came 
to see the king. It's a big deal. Now your maidservants had two sons. The two fought with each other in the fields, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the, the heir also, so they would extinguish my ember that is left, and leave my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. On earth. So what is she telling him? You guys know in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, 12, 21, it says, he who struck the blow shall be put to death. So if you basically hit somebody and kill him, you should also be put to death. That's the law of the land, okay? So she's telling him, look, I had a problem. I had two sons, they're fighting in the field. Nobody was to get in between them to help, to help out. So one of them struck his brother, his brother is dead. Now my family wants me to deliver the murder so they can also kill him because he committed the murder. But if they kill him, I will have no, no children. I'll have no heritage. I'll be without anybody. So now, by the way, she's putting David in a dilemma. Should he apply the law of justice or should he be merciful to this mother? Because if he applies the law of the land, the, the other brother should die. But now this mother is going to suffer the most. Then the king said to the women, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Toka said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you anymore. And she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy, to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So now David, obviously the story she told him, is very related to him. He had a son who killed a son, and then he ran away. But David told her, go, and I'm going to give orders they protect you. She told him, no, no, no. I, I know that they will actually come after me. I don't want you, I don't want you to, and I don't want, I don't want you to, be, to carry my responsibility, but I know that those people will, will run after me. So then the king gave her an oath. Almost gave her a judgment. Be careful. The first one was just a promise. I will give orders for people to watch after you. She did not want that promise. She wanted an order, like a, a justice order. But David told her, you know what? Nobody will touch you. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. You know, it's beautiful because her son is guilty. And David the prophet, out of his mercy, said, not a hair shall fall to the ground. Reminds us of our Lord Jesus. He says, your hairs are numbered. And you are guilty. We're sinful. We're weak. But God says, my mercy makes even every part of you so valuable to me. Now David protected 
the guilty son against the law. This is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we were all guilty. And David, like he prefigures our Lord, he took the side of mercy to protect the son. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my Lord King. And he said, Say on. So basically she's like, she's not happy. She wants to push a bit more because, you know, she doesn't really have a real story. She made this whole story up so to, to deal with David and his children. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. This woman went all out. She told him, have you allowed me to enjoy mercy? Why aren't you showing mercy to your, to your son who committed sin? And by the way, she tells him, I'm speaking on behalf of the people of God. Everybody is saying, why, why haven't you done this? For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. A courageous woman started to talk to David about the mercies of God. When, he's, when she's telling him, uh, for we surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, she's talking about we're all going to die one day. But as long as we live, as long as we live, why should we not enjoy the mercies of God? Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the King, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the King. It may be that the King will perform the request of his maidservant. For the King will hear and deliver his maidservants from the hand of the men who would destroy me. And my son together with the inheritance of God. Your maidservant says, the word of the Lord, the king, will now be comforting. For as the angel of the Lord, so, it made, so, so is my Lord, the king, in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. She tells him, look, as you had compassion on my case, I think it's also fair to have compassion on my case. If you guys know, in law, typically, they look at precedent. They see what cases happened in the past. And they use the same judgment to judge the cases in the future. So she told him, if you look at the case, you judge it this way. In my case, you should also bring back your son. All the people of Israel are saying, why are you exiling your son? He's, he should be the next king. We all love him. Why do you keep him away? Then David understood that this woman, the story is too good to be true, right? He understood that this woman requests is beyond just a normal case. Now she's even interfering in his own personal life. So right at this moment, he pecked that this woman was sent by somebody. And the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, please let the Lord, the king, speak. King, I'm going to ask you a question, but do not hide from me. And the king said, is the hand of Joab, Joab is the head of the army who sent her, with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has, has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in my mouth 
of your maidservants to bring about this change of affairs your servant Joab has done this thing but my lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of the lord to know everything that is in there so he told her did Joab put you up to death did you put you up to this and she to this and she's like yes he did but Joab wanted to do this because he wanted to help the situation tell you guys something and be be very this wise about this there's a lot of situation around you that the people involved in the situation might feel shy or embarrassed to speak. And you might, an outsider voice, might help break the situation. An outsider voice might help break what situation? You guys understand? Unless I give you an example. I remember in, in one of the churches I used to serve in, we had an older priest he was very sweet very nice and some of the kids the way they dealt with him was not super respectful so obviously sometimes he might feel shy to correct him he's not very good with the language he's still new even though he's been a priest for a while but he's still new in the in the area so maybe somebody else can come and help out so you break the ice you break the situation some situation you might feel that the person in, in charge might not be able to do it might not be able to do it that's why it's important in some situation we're called to interfere we're called to what to interfere maybe for example you have uh, a parent who serves in the church and their child is very well qualified to do something but they would not nominate him or her because they don't want to feel like this child was picked because his parents nominated them. And an outside voice could be helpful. So there's a lot of situations where you might feel actually it's easy for an outsider person or somebody around to break that deadlock. Okay? So Joab found a very wise way to help David to get out of this deadlock in a good way. Now David is not going to look like he's an, an unjust king. And now he helped him to bring back his child. And also David, you feel like David is a very humble king. For the fact that a woman can talk to him this way and, and tell him how could you do this. And you know, it's a very, he's a very, very kind person. And the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell on the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant know that I have found favor in your sight, O my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Obviously, Joab is very happy, but he benefited nothing. He's just happy that a peacemaking deal took place. And this is why God said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. When you allow for peace to happen, a joy of the children of God will fill your heart. He had zero interest in this situation. Okay? But he really put a lot of effort 
to try to create peace between two people. Also, David, even though he brought in back his son, he said, I do not want to see his face. It was a very uh, act of great privilege for you to see the king's face. So when the king says, bring him back to Jerusalem, but don't let him see my face, it means like, I forgive him, but not really. You know, it's kind of, I forgive him, but I'm, I'm upset with him. I forgive him, but I'm not going to restore him to his old state yet. He's just a regular citizen in Jerusalem, but he's not yet to be treated as my child completely. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Absalom. Now in, in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut his hair, of the, the hair of his head, at the end of every year he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head and at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. Now, people, when they see Absalom, they see what? A very attractive young man. They say there's no blame in him. And people used to praise him. A while ago, I was reading an article that talked about how people tend to be much nicer to attractive people or people they think they're attractive. So here people are praising him just for his looks. And sometimes this sort of praise creates a very prideful person because he gets used to getting whatever he wants and gets used, get, getting used to getting a lot of praise without doing any work. Just, just the way he looks, that's it. That's all the, the praise he's getting. And some people seek this. A lot of people care about the look significantly. They might waste so much money and energy and effort just on their looks. Hours in front of the mirror, hours reading about different products, money, all that stuff, just so they can look good. And from how obsessed he was, he used to weigh his hair. His hair was about five and a half pounds. And by the way, the way he will die is because of his hair. We're going to see it later. The thing that he, he was pride, prideful of the most caused his death. So everybody would praise Absalom for his good looks. And it's important for us to think about what people praise us for. What people praise us for. I remember one of my coworkers told me, I hate when people call me nice. I said, why? He says, because it's so generic. Everybody calls everybody nice. I want something special. You know, I want to be called something unique. You understand? So people are very picky on how you call them, what they get praise for. Here, all of Israel praised him just for his look. And it looks like, obviously, he was so still attached to his sister, the, the situation that happened with sister Tamar, that he also named his only daughter Tamar, after his sister that was raped. Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. 
And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servant set my field on fire? This is, my friend, the result of arrogance. He sent, he told Joab, I want to see the king's face. And Joab told him, Joab didn't answer. He's so busy. He's the head of the army. He's not giving him attention. What does he do? He sends his servants to pull his house on fire, pull his fields on fire. I know how to get his attention. Obviously, when he put his field on the fire, Joab came and told him, what are you doing? See, this is a, a, a personality that is very spoiled, that is very self-seeking. It's very selfish. Joab is the one who helped him to come back to Jerusalem. He had no problem putting his property on fire just because he wanted to meet with him. Now, here's one thing I want to tell you. How to deal with a childish behavior? Because Joab have many options. But we'll see what Joab did. And Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? And it would be better for me to sell there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Absalom, uh, Joab did not engage so much with the situation of burning the field. Because he knows that Absalom is an immature person. And engaging with him as a Joab, who is a person who is not an authority figure to Absalom, would not be very helpful. It would only cause more problems. So he said, let me connect him to his father, who has an, who's an authority figure over him. So that somebody with an authority figure has to interfere to fix the situation. Obviously, what, this, what is, what is uh, Absalom is telling Joab? He's telling him, go tell the king, if I am guilty of anything, then it's better for me to go back to the shore or he can kill me. Why is he not, why is he not allowing me to see my face? And this is a problem with people who are prideful. Absalom, you killed your brother. And you don't find any guilt in what you have done. You deceived your father. And he told him, I'm going to have a party. And this party turned out to be like a, your murder, murder for your brother. There's a difference between repentance. There's a difference between thinking I'm not innocent. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm innocent. And it's probably just like David seemed to be very indifferent in dealing with his children. Probably why a lot of his children grew up spoiled. Grew up spoiled. Obviously, after Joab went and talked to him, talked to the king, David allowed to get a brief meeting to, to see, see each other, and he kissed him, and to kind of continue now to restore him a little bit to his uh, sonship. But there's a problem. David did not talk to Absalom about his mistakes. It was more like, okay, come, give me a kiss. And they buried the problem under the rug. 
Absalom have been holding a lot of revenge and resentment inside his heart for years. Now, when he saw his father, okay, let's hug and not really work on the problem. So see what happened in Absalom. After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Absalom is a prideful young man. And he, he was tired of being ignored and rejected. And now he's basically going to try to make himself a king. Jerusalem, by the way, if you ever go to it, is not a good land for chariots. So when he bring a chariot in with 50 people running, he's trying to distinguish, distinguish himself as somebody who's going to modernize Jerusalem. Jerusalem does not have chariots, does not have, does not have like, you know, the, 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 the certain looks. I'm going to make changes in the city. I'm going to make a changes in the city. Now he's putting a big public image in front of people in Israel. This is nothing that his father gifted him. That something he assumed. And we always get worried when people assume responsibility on their own without giving that. Because if you assume one on your own, then most likely you're going to assume another and a third and a fourth without getting, uh, without any limit. Now Absalom would rise early. Look what he did. And stand beside the way to the gate. So it would, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a, a tribal of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy to the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that if I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or case would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Absalom did not only care about forming a public image, he would say, stand at the door of the city. The door of the city was almost like the most public area. It's like TV. You know, if you want to be on TV, that's like the, the, the door of the city. This is where all the action is. So everybody's coming, be like, where are you going? Be like, oh, I came from this city, I had an issue. And then if the person did not get his justice, or he, he could tell him, I could have done more for you. Because the king is busy, and nobody actually you know, takes care of cases. Obviously, it's not true. A widow just went to him last chapter and had access to him, and she spoke with him. But he's trying to impress people and to make his father look bad. Even though he's doing certain things that might look good, he would actually wake up early. That's a sign of diligence and somebody who's taking the job seriously. But an important precursor to a person who claims to be just is humility and purity of heart. The, pride, the prideful person tends to criticize authority too much. Instead, of spending more time praying for them. And I'm sure that the news of what Absalom is doing have reached David, but David probably felt very confident. As a king, I have the love of the people. I've been king for many years. I've been respected for many years. There's no way that anything will happen. 
And this manner Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of all men. This happening for years, every year, every day. He would stand at the door, tell people the same thing, year after year. So it came to pass after four years that Absalom said to the king, Please, let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I've made to the Lord. Every time Absalom leaves, it's a disaster. So he told the king, for, for the prince to leave Jerusalem, he has to get a permission from the king. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. At the end of four years, Absalom's kind of had a plan to rebel against his father, who already made a public image for himself. He already stole the hearts of the people. He just kind of kept lying to them over and over again. And now it's a time for him to perfect his plan. How is he going to do it? He told the king, I have to go away to, to, to fulfill a vow. And Hebron obviously is an important place because this is where David began his reign. And also this is where almost David, uh, uh, David uh, listens to, uh, in, in his speech to David, he, uh, Absalom re refers to the use of God three times to act like he's going to act in a very religious manner. Okay. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Go in peace. This is the last word between David and his son. Go in peace. This is the last words. Okay. Now, obviously, when Absalom has David's approval to leave, there is no suspicion around what he's doing. Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, say Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men inv invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. So what did Absalom did? He's so smart. He sent spies throughout Jerusalem, everywhere. And he said, look, once you hear the voice of the trumpet, start screaming out and saying that Absalom reigns in Hebron. Just kind of start doing this, yes. Yes, yes, that's actually, that's very, very important. That's very important. It's also, it has a religious meaning to the people of Israel. Absolutely, yeah. What he did was he told the people, look, once you hear the trumpet, I want you all to scream, the spies to scream and say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. What is he doing? He's managing the public perception. And I want to comment on this quickly because we have the same problem in our society. We have very few people who have very loud voices. And this small minority, small minority, makes the majority intimidated and afraid to speak. This is another version of cancel culture. When you have people all the time, all of a sudden you wake up and everybody's screaming, Absalom reigns. When did this happen? When was that okay? When was this okay to teach this stuff in school? When was this okay to allow late-term abortion? When was this okay? But what happens is, you have few people who are very loud and deceives everybody and they think this is okay. 
And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Golanites, David's counsel from the city from Gola, while he offered sacrifice, and the conspiracy grew stronger for the people, with Absalom continually increased in number. Ahithophel, guys, was the most intelligent person on the face of the universe at that time. They used to say to seek the counsel of Ahithophel as if you're seeking the counsel of God. This guy does not make a mistake. Okay? He's the top of the line, best counsel, Harvard grad, Mackenzie, whatever it is you want to call it. He's the top, top guy who can tell you really exactly what you need to do. So now when he takes David's top advisor with him, now it's going to look like that David is weakened and his son and everybody, everybody is running after his son. Now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of men of Israel are with Absalom. Some royal messengers came to David and told him, look, everybody's perception is changing. By the way, this might not be fully true, that everybody's heart is with Absalom. But this is the image right now. This is the public image. It's a difficult situation. Now, David said to his servants and who were with him at Jerusalem, look at what David did. Arise and let us free, flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, we are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with his household after him, but the king left ten concubines to keep the house. When David got the news that his son is causing a revolt, David did something I think is very unexpected. He ran away from the city. This is not David, by the way. David defeated Goliath. David faced the Philistines with very small armies. David is courageous. But David here has a big problem. This is a civil war. This is people killing people. Israelites killing Israelites. He's going to fight his own son. So David's out of his humility. And out of his wisdom, he said, let me flee. Why are you going to flee? Because I am worried about the city, I'm worried about the people. I don't want us to have a civil war. Not to protect my throne. I mean, at the end of the day, Absalom is his son. And it's okay if he ever become a king. It's not like a Philistine taking over and enslaving the people. This is, this is his son. But he said, even if I have to give up my throne, it's okay. But I won't allow a civil war to happen. Now, because David was a wonderful king, his servants told him, we're going to come with you. And... This is an important basic idea. When people around you that you work with love you, they will listen to you. When you have been loyal to them, they will listen to you. And obviously David left few women in the house, so it's not abandoned. It's an act of wisdom. So it doesn't look like he's never coming back again. Okay? Now the king went out to his people after him, and he stopped at the outskirts, 
Then all the servants passed before him, and the Sherites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Goth, passed before him. It's a very sad procession. The king himself walking, and most of the people that are walking with him are what? Are not Jews. All the three names, three groups of people we mentioned, they're actually foreigners. People that David helped and supported, brought, they were walking with him. Now you know it reminds us of what? Of the procession of the cross. The people that followed Jesus the most were Gentiles. And the people that walked with him the journey were the Gentiles. They were loyal to the true David, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Then the king said to Ittai the Kittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your and also and an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your uh, brethren back. Mercy, truth be with you. David is beautiful. He found this guy. His name is Attire. Attire was just an elderly man. Came with a small tribe. That David, it seems like they just came to move to Jerusalem recently. David kind of tried to care for them, so he brought them back to Jerusalem. And he showed them love. But he told them, look, you're going to run, run after me. I'm no, I no longer can protect you. I am, I, am, I am running away. I don't know where I'm going. I'm a refuge. And you are just new. The king is not going to doubt you. The king is not going to say, who are you? He's going to be okay with you. He's not going to kill you. I think it's better for you to stay safe. Even in his most difficult moments, David was looking after the needs of other people. I remember people used to say when Father Abuna Mikhail Ibrahim, his son died, when people used to offer their condolences, he would actually comfort them. He would actually comfort them. In the most difficult situation, he would actually comfort them. David looked at this person's need and told him, it is difficult for you. Look what also is beautiful here. David is referring to Absalom as the king. Tell him, return and remain with the king. By the way, that reveals what's in his heart. He's not worried about his throne. He's worried about what God wants. He didn't say, this rebellious, you know, this guy, this cannot believe he's my son. I no longer will call him son. He referred to him with so much respect. And he t told the guy, go in peace and truth. He didn't show him, he didn't like try to make him feel self-pity. Look, I'm leaving. Uh, if you want to come with me, you can. If it, no, no drama scene. He really meant it. Then it's I answered to the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or in life, even there also your servants will be. The Gentiles who experienced the love and care of David said, I will not leave you. I will carry the cross with you. We are crying with a tie, telling, telling God in life or death, in difficult situation, in good times, I will walk with you. Then David said, go and cross over. Crossover is what reminds us of what? Passover. 
almost the Eucharist. Come and participate. Then Isaiah the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones were with him crossed over. They all crossed over to be with David like we crossed over to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. In the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are some people whom he called and they rejected him. And some people who were not even called and ran after him. And these are the people that actually became part of the family of Christ. All and all the country wept with a loud voice. See? So it was a public perception it was fake. Because now the people are weeping for David. And all the people crossed over and the king himself also crossed over the brook Kedron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Obviously, lost, lots of events will take the, the mountain of uh, the brook of Kedron. This is where the mountain of Olive is. So it's almost, you can actually draw a parallel between what's happening here and between the life of Christ. And then after this, he's going to uh, the wilderness. It's almost like you feel the whole country is weeping. It's almost as if the cross and the whole creation is weeping on how we as human rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. There was Zedot also and all the Levites with him bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they sat down the Ark of God and Abithar went up until the people had finishing, finished crossing over the city. So obviously you guys know there were priests who were with David from the very beginning. When Saul killed the city of the priest, some of them ran to him and all the priests with him. So the priest loved him. David was part of the, almost part of the priest. He would sing with them. He, was, he would organize the choir. Like this guy was into worship so much. He, he, he wrote psalms for people to worship. So the priest ran and told him, I'm going to leave with you. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring, him back, bring me back and show me both, both it and it's his willing place. But if he says thus, I have done light, no delight in you. Here I am. Let him do to me as he seems good to him. I'm sorry, I'm going to read this one more time. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of the cross back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and it's his, his dwelling place. But if he says, thus, I have done light, no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. What is David saying? David, this is mind-blowing, guys. He's running away. His son is betraying him. The whole world is upside down. He says, this is a conversation between me and God. So it has nothing to do with my son. It has nothing to do with all these conditions. I am going to God and tell him. And he told the priest, he told him, look, return the ark back. Why we told him return the ark back? Number one, you guys remember in, in this earlier in the life of before Saul, in the time of Sam, uh, Eli, the priest, when the, the Israelites took the ark without the permission, what happened caused a lot of death. So that was a problem. Number two, he told them, look, God allowed me to leave the church, to leave Jerusalem. If he wants me back to look at it again and to pray in his house again, then that's fine. If he doesn't, let him do with me whatever he wants. This is the heart of a faithful person. Tell you guys, it's a big problem 
when we look at faith in our life. Sometimes we think of faith as believing in the unseen. But the Apostle Paul defined it as what? Certainty of the unseen. You are certain of the unseen. That is a Christian faith. It's not a probability. And that's why David is able immediately to bring all the problem back to God. He did not use the ark as a political weapon and say, you know what, the worship now is with me. If you want to come, come and bring the people his way. No. He said it's all in the hands of God. And by the way, at this time, David wrote a beautiful psalm, Psalm 3. And Psalm 3 says, Lord, how they have increased those who trouble me. Why is he saying this? His son is standing against him. A lot of his counsels are leaving him. Some of the people he treated very well left him. Extreme level of betrayal. And then he says, many are those who say to me, there is no help for him in God. Yeah, and the people started coming to David and telling him, you still believe in God after all this? After all this happened, you still believe and trust in God? And look at what David said. But you, O Lord, are my shield, a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. People put doubt in his head, but he tells God, he tells him, you are my rock, my shield, my glory. He's claiming and confessing his faith in God in the time when everybody wants him to doubt. Out loud. Not hiding. And then look at the last verse I want to share with you from the psalm. It says, I cried to the Lord with my voice. I prayed. And he heard me from where? From his holy hill. Remember, David said, if God wants to have favor with me, he will allow me to see his holy place again. So he said, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, from Jerusalem. It means God accepted me. He will bring me back. The problem is solved. The decision is final. I'm going back. How, when, I have no idea. Wow. This is a true, true relationship with God. He has no plan. He has no idea what's going to happen. But he has, he knows that God responded to him. And the king said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace. And your two sons with you, Amaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abithar, see, I will wait in the plains in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abithar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. He basically told him, go back to Jerusalem and if you really want to help me, you have two young priests with you. If there's any news, bring it to me. So he just wanted to build some sort of what? News. Because the priest would be able to move freely. The priest served all of Israel so they can move early, uh, freely. So David went up and ascent of the Mount of Olives. See? Now we'll talk about Mount of Olives. And wept as he went up. David going up to pray to God, crying like a baby. And he has his head covered and, bare, and went to barefoot. I want you to imagine the scene. David going up to the mountain. He's a king. 
covers his head, takes up his shoes, when he's crying. He's humiliating and humbling himself in front of God. He's not, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, if I was in David's place, what I'm going to do is, bring me the soldiers, bring me the army, let's see how we can take back the city. Assassination would be a good idea. Like, you start thinking of plans. What is he thinking? God, I want to repent. Wow. How many problems we face in life, and my first reaction would be like, I'm going to run on my knees and tell you I want to repent. And someone and, and says, oh, and all the people who were with him covered their head and went up weeping as they went up. Everybody's repenting. You see the difference between the two camp, a, pure, a beautiful camp that's praying and the other one just doing their own thing. Then someone said to David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolish. As he's repenting, and as the whole scene looks like beautiful, as, as you repent, and as I repent, usually the first news we hear is not good news. You say, Abuna, I go back to God and I pray and I repent, and nothing good happens. Wait. Wait, let your faith work itself out. It's not from the first tier. When God hears our cry, He waits. Because He enjoys our cry. But then He gives you victory better than you ever thought before. Wait. When He heard David the news, this news was just more for him to repent and he prayed from his heart and told God please Lord turn his counsel into foolishness turn into counsel eh, into because this guy is so smart he can lead Absalom to make decision by the way I don't think David is worried about his throne he's worried about Absalom making a lot of mistakes that would be harmful to the kingdom of Israel itself now it happened that David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, where uh, there was Hushai and Arkai coming to meet him with the robe torn and dust on their head. After David prayed, now he reached the top. The top of the mountain always represents the, the meeting point with God. As if almost God answered his prayer. He sent to him two people who were very loyal to him. That they used to work in the palace. Okay? And he worshipped God. And by the way, the, the, when we say worship, it means he offered submission, thanksgiving to God. He got onto the mountain. He just heard bad news. Everything is terrible. And he worshipped God. God, I worship you. I praise you. I give thanks to you. Now, immediately God answered his prayer by sending him two loyal friends. David said to him, if you go with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you turn to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servants, O king, as I was your father's servants previously, so I will now be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahitophel for me. He basically told his two loyal friends, instead of staying with me here, go back to the palace and just be careful from this guy. This guy is super smart, but the problem is he doesn't care about 
whether we're doing good or evil. He just wants to do, find a way to do what the king wants, even if it's evil. And now, and do not, don't you, and, and do you not have Zadok and Abithar the priest with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abithar the priest. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Amaz and Zadok, son, Jonathan, Abithar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friends, went into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So basically, it's almost like as if there's, well, basically David formed a good CIA system for himself. Now he has these two loyal friends in the palace. They get the information. They tell it to the young priest. The young priest will tell him what's happening. And he's left standing on the mountain praying that God may foolish the, uh, the, the council of Ahitophel. And look at this story. The Bible is beautiful. As, as, as Hushaya entered the city, Absalom came in. It's almost like nothing is by accident. Right after David told him, yes, you're going to be my, the person that works for me. Right after he entered, so there's no more doubt and suspicions toward him. Absalom came into Jerusalem and he entered. And now we're going to start a life of how God delivered David from his son without making him lose his credibility and without making him lose the promises that God has given him. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. So guys, I'm sorry I, I wanted to cover, uh, finish chapter 15, because we will take a summer break. Uh, we have so many travels next period. We're, I'm going to Texas with the youth and then Africa. And then after this we have Nahda. So God willing, we will continue the book of Samuel in Nairuz in early September. We only have about nine chapters left. So we'll continue that in September, and then after this, we'll pick another book in the Bible. Also, I got a, a, nice, a nice announcement. It said, there is food in the hall for everyone. So if you would like to go eat, you can go to the hall. And also, after we pray, we're going to say just one song today, and then all of us can head to, whoever wants to go, obviously, we're going to head out to Prince Tadros so we can spend time with the Bunatajus. Okay?